0: I like your pillow. I could get mine if I wanted to. We could be we could be twins. I just packed oh, it yesterday in one of my moving boxes. Oh yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I didn't close that box yet. <laughs>
1: this is my <laughs> podcast pillow.
0: Nice, nice.
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's
0: do it. Okay, cool. Hello again, my friends, and welcome to the Jordan Paris show. Today I have with me Dr. Brian Keating. Brian is a Chancellor's. This is a mouthful. Get ready. He's a Chancellor's Distinguished Professor of Physics at the Center for Astrophysics and Space Sciences in the Department of Physics at the University of California, San Diego. He wrote a book called Losing the Nobel Prize: A Story of Cosmology, Ambition, and the Perils of Science's highest honor. You can find him on the Twitter at Dr. Brian Keating. And Intro to the Impossible is his podcast. You can also find him on Clubhouse. He followed me there yesterday. But, Brian, you were just telling me something uh, very concerning about Clubhouse. Can you share that?
1: Oh, I think, you know, it's it's just the expectation that you have of being completely patriotic, and loyal to American technology. Unfortunately, Clubhouse, I believe, <clears throat> is powered by, I think it's Agora. I forget the actual the actual company's name that powers Clubhouse. But it is it is interesting. Yeah, it's API that's uh, the programming interface that is called Agora, and uh, they supposedly have had some security risks. I believe they're known they're owned by the uh, People's Republic of China and a state-owned company. Although I'm sure they have entities that trade uh, throughout the world because you can find capitalism thriving nowhere uh, more successfully than in China, apparently. <laughs> Yes, isn't and isn't that wonderful with Clubhouse? And you're telling me the same thing with Zoom? Zoom, I I think Zoom has some issues similar. I don't know if it's actually owned by, I mean, it has a, a holding company, but I don't know if it is actually owned by uh, the PRC or not. That would require research that would take me offline for several seconds. So I do believe that it has uh, security concerns that prevent it from being used. By military organizations and by uh, very high level government, although they think I think they did have one of the presidential debates using Zoom, so it, it can't be that bad, right?
0: No, I mean that I, maybe that I think that was the one that was canceled, perhaps.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yes, they were uh, they yes. were editing in real time. No, a lot of this stuff is unfortunately, uh, you know, seeing a rise overseas. I think one one issue that I see is helpful is with. Entities like Starlink, the one thing that the Chinese government won't be oh. able to block so successfully with their so called Great Firewall as they have with with Facebook, for example, and, and YouTube, is they uh, won't be able to block Starlink. Perhaps that'll lead to kind of a revival of what was called Radio Free America back in the uh, 50s and 40s when uh, we had to penetrate behind the, beyond the Iron Curtain using, using old-fashioned radio signals. And that was a way for dissidents and others to get information about the Western world. And I think they need it more than ever in some parts of the, of the planet
0: hmm So, Brian, you've got this cool background. It's it's Chile for people that are listening. We're unfortunately having to use Zoom today, departing from our normal squadcast. we had some issues there. But so with Zoom, now he Brian has a cool uh, virtual background of Chile. I thought it was Mars. And speaking of other worldly places, your time at the North Pole, could you tell me about that? You touched on it briefly in your TED talk, which by the way was fantastic and it's really inspiring for me uh giving a ted talk literally like a week from our recording this today uh the way you just took the audience through like all all the different emotions and laughter and sadness with your with your friend committing suicide and it just and it was a masterful talk it really was thank you thank you very much but the north
1: pole yeah so i wish i had gone to the north pole because then i could meet santa claus uh it's actually at the south pole oh so the south pole yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, let me use that as an so, opportunity to explain uh-huh. the difference between the two so okay. which the two poles are the uh of the axis on which the entire planet earth is rotating so the reason we have day night cycles the reason why we have uh, diurnal effects circadian rhythms is connected to the fact that these two special locations are points of basically fixed motion in other words the planet is rotating about them as you've ever tried with a globe in a, in a classroom, there's two points at the top and the bottom of the planet that are fixed when you spin the spherical ball that we call the globe. Uh, Well, one of those comes out in the north, and we call that the North Pole. And that has a very different kind of character to it than does the South Pole. The South Pole is actually part of a continent called Antarctica, which means it has a continental shelf, it has rocks, it has landmass, it has volcanoes, mountains, etc. The North Pole has no such things, you actually can go I haven't done this either, Jordan, but you can go underneath the North Pole in a nuclear-powered submarine and blast your way through the ice sheet in mm. the wintertime. And even in the summertime, there's still some ice, although it is diminishing, but the uh, the blast through it and you'll be just surrounded by ocean or frozen ocean. So the point is the North Pole is not a continent, which makes it a bad place to put a telescope like our BICEP-2 telescope, which we built beginning in 2005, at the South Pole. So United States owns basically sovereign territory at the bottom of the planet. And uh, speaking of, you know, kind of former Soviet bloc countries or communist countries, Russia actually planted a flag at the bottom of the ocean at the North Pole to claim it as sovereign Russian territory. I don't know what Hmm. they're planning to do with it. But the one nice thing about the South Pole and about astronomy in general, Jordan, the reason I like it, and the reason I pursue people, even if they're political or not, is that astronomy is not political. You don't have like a democratic constellation. You don't have a Republican asteroid. Uh, it is a political. And I feel like we need a safe space. I, I got so sick of social media. I got so sick of, uh, totally. you know, I could I could be a political atheist. And I, it's not like, oh, I look up and I say, oh, this this person perfectly reflects, you know who perfectly reflects my opinions politically, Jordan? Me. No one. Oh, no, you. me. That's yeah, it. Right. Yeah, yeah, that is it. I feel like you know this is a total uh, a total scam that we all ha- we have to be on one team or the other. Yes, and that's it's, why I've it's, gone to science pure.
0: Yeah, it's like sports and in in that analogy, you got to be on one team or the other. But then it's like also, I mean, it, I I liken it this whole political theater as yes, just that political theater. But I also liken it to the WWE. Everyone, it, it's all for show, and I look at. People like Joe Biden, I'm like, oh, he's a really good actor to the point where I don't even think he, like, yeah, he just doesn't have any idea what's going on. He really believes what he's saying. And then I look at someone like Jill Biden or Kamala Harris, and I'm like, wow, really just a bad actor, like like not good at acting. Joe Biden's a really good actor.
1: Um there are a well, lot of, more George training. Bush is a very good actor. Yeah, uh they, people they've like had decades of training, right? These right. people have been in Washington for 50 years almost in the case of our president.
0: Yes, certainly. But we were I we were going to uh, we were going to the South Pole. I, I needed you to tell me about your, your time there. I want I, yeah. I have more questions, but I want to I wanna hear yeah. about
1: that. So the South Pole is a is an, a unique location. It is basically the most remote, coldest driest and one of the highest places on earth. It is a place that's forbidding. It was a place that was only reached about 109 years ago for the first time in the history of planet earth. Humans set foot there in uh, basically, yeah, 110 years ago in tw- uh, 1911. And many people died trying to get there because it, re- it really kind of held the sway in the public mind of a but- final frontier. How do we know that in the, how many years has Earth been around? Is it trillions? No, uh, the, the universe has been billions for 13.8 billion years. The Earth is believed to be about 4.5 billion years old. How do we know in 4.5 billion years that
0: people have not, some life forms have not stepped foot there? I mean, yeah. p- human beings, how
1: do we know that human beings haven't been there before? Do we know for yeah. sure? Well, there were no tweets. And so uh, yeah. there's no Instagram post from from anybody before 1911. That was the first instant. Actually, there is a selfie of the first explorers to make it there. And check this out. When they got there, actually, the second explorers, it's like, do you know who is pictured in the first image ever recorded of a human being on the moon surface? Do you know who that is? Hmm. It's not Neil Armstrong. He was the first person to oh, go on the moon- it's the guy who came after him, Buzz Aldrin. Buzz, who's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Buzz is the second person. So it's always the second person that gets depicted because the first person, you know, can't, has to can't hold the camera and take a selfie. Totally. So these guys that took the selfie of them, they're actually the second people to ever reach the South Pole. And it's a very good analogy for the lunar landing. Imagine if Neil Armstrong did step out of the lunar module, put his foot down off the Eagle. That's one giant leap for man. And he steps onto a Russian flag. In other words, what if the Russians had beaten him there? That's what happened to the British team led by a man with an awesome name. Not quite as cool as Jordan Paris. (laughs) Is that your your real name or is that a stage name? name? Awesome, man. I love that name. That's great. So uh, it's not as cool as that, but it's almost as cool. His name is Robert Falcon Scott. Mm. Robert Falcon Scott. He set foot on the South Pole as the second human being to ever reach there. And how did he know that? Because there was a giant freaking norwegian flag staring him in the face for like two miles as he's coming over this flat ski cross-country ski trip that lasted 700 nautical miles he gets there and he sees a flag and it's from this freaking enemy the norwegian flag and it was planted by roald amundsen who reached it three weeks before robert falcon scott and that three-week difference made the difference between life and death for the british team they all died on their way back from this oh hospital.
0: wow wow Why? Why do people die? I mean, yeah, it's just like incredibly harsh conditions.
1: Yeah. They starved to death and they froze to death. What happened was they wanted to do the South Pole as scientists. They wanted to get there and take rock samples and dead seals. And they were carrying all this weight on their backs because the British team didn't want to use animals because any animal that you brought to the South Pole would be dinner eventually. That's what the Norwegians did. They took sled dogs pulled them up the mountain. By the way, it's you go from sea level to about 9,500 feet. The South Pole is built up on almost two miles of ice over the millennia uh, of its existence. The snow that's fallen there just compacts and compresses and becomes ice over you know literally millions of years. And now it's two miles thick above sea level. So you have to ski from sea level all the way up a mountain. Now, the Norwegian team was smart. They took dogs and the British team refused to take dogs because they were afraid they would have to eat them. So And they had to take more men, which meant more food, which meant more fuel, which meant more energy, which meant that they consumed that much faster. They died, even though they made it there on the way home. Mm -hmm. They froze to death in March of uh, 1912. So it was a forbidding place. And you know what else, Jordan? There's a parallel between that and the moon in another race which is that once we got to the moon, we didn't go back. We haven't been back to the moon with people with boots on the ground. I'm hoping my friend and and uh, alumna of UC San Diego, Dr. Jessica Meir, I'm hoping she'll be the first woman on the moon in 2024 or 2025, thanks to the Artemis program. And uh, But I don't know if, if we'll actually go back. But anyway, that'll be over 50 years since the initial moon landing took place in 1969. So we haven't gone back. Same thing at the South Pole. People didn't go back for 50 years till the 1950s and 60s to do sign scientific research. And then I showed up there in 2005 and six and went back there in 2008. Uh, So I've been there twice, spent a total of about a month or so there. Mm. It's an amazing place for the first 20 minutes. And then you really want to go home and get back to Southern California. Ah. I I don't know why Uh I might be unique in that way, but yeah, Uh, I I don't like uh, frozen glaciers, you know, for, for more than a couple of minutes.
0: Yeah. I don't know that I'd want to go there. It's not really on my list. (laughs) Uh, I don't, and I don't have one of those explorer names like Robert Falcon Scott or the other person. Those was a real explorer names. That's right. Uh, <laughs> nor am I a doctor. I have to ask you, Brian. What is it like being a professor on a college campus in California?
1: Uh, yeah. Being yeah. featured
0: in PragerU videos and having a conversation, just having a conversation. Not that it was not that it was too political in nature, but. Being on the Ben Shapiro show. What is
1: what is it like? Are you hated or what? That's funny. You know, I do get uh, a lot of uh, hatred. It always seems to come in one direction. You mentioned I host the Into the Impossible podcast, which I'm very proud to say has grown from, you know, one follower, my mom basically. And she used to give me the thumbs down. You know, that was kind of negative. No way. But anyway, that's, you know, that's just my mom. I went from one subscriber. Now we're up to almost 23,000 by the time this comes out on YouTube. Plus, you know, we're top 10. And I'm the amazing
0: guest that you have. real diversity i thought here Noam Chomsky there uh, you got a lot a of, lot of people on that podcast
1: yeah yeah and I, kudos to you too Jordan I followed uh, your guests I listened to them and uh, some of your interviews Robert Green and, and in particular yes. I'm going to ask you for a, a hookup after the show after we record <laughs> to some of your guests because they're really sure. phenomenal people as well so yeah. I pride myself as I said on maintaining political neutrality because you do I, think, I can't yeah. figure you out <laughs> We get enough of politics from our daily lives. We're inundated with it. My wife last night, we're about to go to bed and she's like, did you hear about this You know, runoff election in Dade County? I'm like, what? why do I need to know that? Like, What does that do for me? I, I have to go on what's called a news diet and that's courtesy of our mutual friend, uh, none other than our friend, James Altucher. James. Yes. He is my brother. His book is out today, uh, Skip the Line. I did a podcast with him last week speaks very highly of you. And the point being, I maintain the neutrality and a diet from politics. I'm not going to change politics. What I might change is someone's opinion on the right or on the left. Although I seem to get more kind of hatred coming from the fact that I'll host people on the right. I've never had Ben Shapiro or Michael Knowles or or even someone like Gad Sad, who's a true gadfly. I've never heard them say, you had on Noam Chomsky, you had on Larry Tribe, you yeah. had a, yeah, I mean Noam Chomsky called the Republican Party the greatest terrorist organization on earth. Guess what, Jordan? I don't talk to him about politics. I talked to him about artificial intelligence. I talked to him about the Turing test. I talked to him about the simulation hypothesis. I don't care about his repugnant views on Israel, for example, <laughs> or on uh calling, you know, friends of mine perhaps like Ben Shapiro members of a terrorist organization. But Luckily, I never get complaints about those guests. I only get complaints about, oh, you're on Dennis Prager? You're on Prager U? How could you? And I'm like, did you watch it? No, I didn't watch no. it. But, you know, he's a right wing hate a monger who doesn't believe in global warming. I'm like, I have multiple videos of him talking about human induced global warming. And, uh, but you know what? It's all good. I feel like the right is uh, kind of a little bit more, more subtle or relaxed or less, less uh, kind of triggered by thought. And I'll have people oh. not say, I don't want to go on your show, you know, F off and I'm unsubscribed because you had, but I never have someone say I unsubscribed on the right because you had Noam Chomsky or Larry Tribe on. And by yeah. the way, I didn't talk to, about the politics with them either, even though we were talking about impeachment with Larry Tribe, who's like wrote the book on impeachment the day that Trump took office. So I, I like that because I think Jordan, ultimately I can learn from anybody. I can teach anybody because I am a good student. I'm a good student. I'm a good learner. I take to heart lessons that I've learned. I try to translate without dumbing it down. I never dumb down the science content. But when you're having someone like Eric Weinstein on one side, or you're having somebody like Max Tegmark on the other side, you want to have a friendly debate. The worst thing you can do is just like state your own opinions. And I don't care. I already know my opinions. I don't. I don't need to like hear myself verbally, you know, articulate those. I've already done it enough. So. Again, let's do the things that aren't necessarily political, which can include the influence negative in some ways, as I believe it is happening, of science on politics. And that is fair game because I am free. You know, I'm not a political expert. I'm not a social policy expert, but I am a scientist and I'm an expert on science and, and on other scientists and how science is done. But even then, Jordan, I'd still rather talk about the science itself than what influence scientists should or should not have on public discourse.
0: Well, tell me, what type of influence is politics having on science?
1: Well, I just did another Prager University video, my third one. First one was about God versus the multiverse, this responding to this. Saw that. Yeah, this really religious conviction or fervor that some of my colleagues still maintain in the reality of the multiverse, which is a claim that we not only have multiple planets, we not only have multiple stars, we not only have multiple galaxies, but there are multiple universes. This is sort of the extension of what I talk about in losing the Nobel Prize, my memoir. I talk about that as the Copernican principle, this process that there's nothing special about Earth's location in the solar system, as literally millions of people thought for thousands of years before Copernicus and my hero, Galileo, that was my second video for PragerU. It was called the Book Club, yeah. and that was about the biggest impactful book in my life in history, besides my own book and maybe the the Bible, the Old Testament, in my case. Uh, and that was uh, this book called The Dialogue on the Two World Systems. These are the concepts of whether or not Copernicus or Aristotle was basically right that the Earth is the center of the universe. So he and I, Michael Knowles and I, talked about that. The third video that I recorded last month. Is about is about you know scientists and the scientific method, and in fact, this phrase that gets bandied around a lot nowadays is "trust the scientists, follow the." Follow scientists. the science, yeah. We are the party of science. And follow I, the science means follow the narrative. By the way. Well, here's my question to you. When you hear that, you claim it means follow the narrative. I think it means when you hear listen to scientists, I actually am afraid that the connotation is obey scientists. Yes. That I I refuse to do. I don't know a scientist, Jordan. I'm a scientist, okay? It's (laughs) It's not science if you can't question it and challenge it. Not only that, but I don't know a scientist who listens to other scientists. In other words, when I hear a result in a conference, my whole job, or I'm the referee of a paper. It's called peer review. Uh, when you go out and you look and see if the paper is replicatable, if the methods are sound, if the if the judgment and app and the conclusion is validatable, I do that all the time for prestigious journals, the most prestigious in all of science, Nature, whatever. So when I do that, I don't say, "Oh." oh, the guy's a scientist or she's a scientist. Okay. Accepted, you know, and that would invalidate mm. the entirety of the scientific method, which is based on it's, persuasion and it's based on adversarial provisional conclusions. So it's stunt scientists. If you tell a scientist, don't, don't question Einstein, you know, look, he won a Nobel prize. He, he was also wrong seven or eight times about some of the most fundamental things that, that he tried to uh, transact. And so don't trust scientists is what I'm saying. Listen to them. Use judgment, ask questions, and then remember what Richard Feynman said. That Richard Feynman said, science is the belief in the ignorance of experts, not the wisdom of experts, because science means knowledge. It doesn't mean wisdom.
0: Yeah. I mean, take it as theory. I think that the word science and uh, and, and scientist, it's like this, and people in, in lab coats, it's like this pseudo-authority. I mean, they have some authority, but it shouldn't blindly... Trust and obey every word that they say. I mean, you take it as theory and you quote the cliche, do your research, which became kind of a cliche in 2020. It's kind of funny, by the way. In 2020, it was like the left that would say, get educated, educate yourself. And then
1: the right would be like, do your research. It's just so funny. Like the war. Yeah, well, everybody was an epidemiologist, which, yeah. which tells you something about epidemiology in some sense. I mean, I just got the COVID-19 vaccine, um, going out to buy some Microsoft products as we speak. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking mm, out there. I, I kind of, didn't I get gonna that say, version. I, was gonna I didn't get you. the Bill Gates. I'm just joking out there, everybody. But, but listen, the biggest thing that I take away from the whole COVID-19 thing is that there is an ignorance of the scientific method in a certain sense, and that scientists are altogether too quick in some cases to use the title science, to use the question, the, the mantle of authority that their name, scientist, that that conveys some special wisdom about policy. No, Jordan, I didn't elect, you know, we didn't vote for Joe Biden or those of us who voted or those of us who didn't, we don't elect presidents as scientists, nor do we elect scientists to be president. And that's very dangerous when we think of them as unelected people that didn't run for political office, weren't part of a platform. And now they're going to dictate based on not like, if I say to you, Jordan, evolution is a theory. Or, or gravity is a theory, a theory of relativity. What, is, what do you think the word theory means? Do you think it means my opinion? What do you think as a lay person, the word theory as applies to science means?
0: Mm, I never thought, yeah, the definition of the word theory. And as I repeat it back to you, I'm buying time. Wow, yeah, I don't, it's just, it's, it's not, it's to be verified, to be determined, I guess. It's not exactly verified concrete yet.
1: Absolutely wrong. It means in the scientific case. no, you're 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 kind of on the right track, but actually, what it means in science is is something that has been established and supported via evidence, and it's to be distinguished, Jordan, from models. So, model is a prediction of the future, perhaps induced from data that has been observed, perhaps induced as a consequence from an existing theory. In other words, if uh, the theory of evolution is true we should see certain variations based on adaptation to make a uh, species more fit for a given environment so darwin found these birds in the galapagos island they had very small beaks and he predicted there must be a spider or something to drink this fluid from our nectar from a flower that had a very long bulb on it anyway so there are consequences and you could model certain things but they are not theories theory of relativity jordan if you've ever used gps have you ever used mm-hmm. gps to get somewhere right mm-hmm. I, I use it all the time i always turn off the voice command when i'm driving with my wife so I, I actually I, don't
0: have- uh, I use uh i use map quest i print out the directions okay i use a lighthouse
1: sometimes i use the lighthouse which won the nobel prize in 1912 jordan can you believe the lighthouse won the nobel prize in 1912 even while einstein's theory of relativity had not been awarded the nobel prize because he was jewish and actually that was the thing that was perhaps the largest distinction that prevented him from winning the nobel prize from the most highly verified most important most impactful theory In all of physics, some say. And so a theory means something that is elevated. It's actually very well established by evidence. I believe in the theory of gravity. I believe in the theory of evolution. It has tons of evidence. I believe in the theory of human-induced climate change. Now, you can ask, what do the models predict? That's different. That's not the theory. That's a potential. Oh, a screaming kid. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, well, got a, I've got a couple of those. You want to no, no, do no, an no. interview with a, with a yeah. two-year-old? I'm happy to set sure. you up. That would be a first in the Jordan Parish show. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, you believe so, in
0: these things. So yes, yeah, so yeah,
1: you have to believe in things that have evidence for them. They should have as many different directions as possible. And don't think a theory just means it's it's like debate up for debate. It's not. But yeah. a model may well be. You know, what's interesting. I'm going to
0: go back to what you said a couple of minutes ago is what I'm hanging on right here is, you know, you have, I mean, look, presidents aren't scientists and scientists aren't presidents, but we have presidents acting as scientists and scientists acting as presidents. Let's think Dr. Fauci, look at him. He's he's infectious diseases. He's co- He comments on the economy and whether it should be open or closed. He's pretending to be like the president, this authoritarian, like, God, like get out of here, dude. <laughs> so I just wanted to comment on that. I, I have so many more questions. Yeah. Right go. now, diversity and inclusion. I noticed you mentioned in passing, maybe in one of your PragerU videos. It's an impediment to the scientific method. Can you tell me why?
1: Well, I think there's there's a co- there's a concept of uh, diversity. Which, which is great. Actually, diversity is healthy. It's good, useful for scientific uh, processes. It's useful for making decisions about you know how, how we include certain people into the endeavor that have been historically excluded. As I mentioned, Jews were forbidden to win the Nobel Prize in the 1920s and before. So over almost 20 years, even though their contributions were Obviously, Nobel-worthy in the case of Albert Einstein, and so I know that the Jews had been had been excluded in, ex- specifically. I believe that women are still potentially being excluded, and I believe that perhaps African Amer- no African American has ever won the Nobel Prize in physics. Only two living women. There are more women on the space station right now than have the Nobel Prize in physics. Well, and, here's uh, here's here's me
0: playing devil's advocate. Would you say that just? there aren't a lot of women and African-Americans in the field, then then, okay, why are they not in the field? Maybe they just don't even want to, these people, these women and African-Americans, maybe they, they just don't even, not saying that there's a, maybe it's not just that there's like a barricade there preventing them from entering the field, because I think they clearly can enter the field, but perhaps they just
1: don't, that's just, those aren't the types of things that they do. They don't want to enter these fields. So this is not what interests them. I disagree just based on my context. So nowadays, things are very different than thirty or forty years ago. And you can make the argument the Nobel Prize is a trailing indicator. It is a lagging indicator. It's not representative of how science is done right now. And actually, women have won you know half the Nobel Prizes this year in physics and chemistry. <laughs> it's still a small number, And they've only doubled it, doubled the number of women, you know from two to four in the last 119 years of its existence. But no, so a lot of my colleagues, something like 40% of my colleagues are females in the astronomy uh, department or astronomy group. And that has increased, it it increased, it's doubled, almost doubled since I got here. Uh, And so we're making good strides. The problem I have with the, as Gad said, he calls it diversity, inclusivity, and equity. And so that the acronym is DIE. Uh, You know, If you know Gad, that's kind of his sense of humor. Uh, but the equity part is 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 the issue that is kind of controversial to me because the equity means that you have to have equality of result and I always say like I would love nothing more look I'm an honorary lifetime member of the National Society of black physicists I don't know anyone who's given I don't know anyone personally I mean I'm sure there are people but have given more time money you know that that has been in the in the in this organization you know as recently as I am at least of the recent inductees who support it so heavily uh, maybe with one of or two exceptions that aren't african-american and and i was voted into it because of contributions i've made and and so forth nowhere there do i see people saying like well there there are there's an untapped pool of people and we're not reaching them because we're not trying. In other words, I would like nothing more than to have, you know, as many African American colleagues as possible. My uh my 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 colleague professor uh, Jim Gates at uh, who is now the director of the largest organization of physicists in America called the American Physical Society, he is African American. He's the father of string theory and of supersymmetry, uh, one of the fathers. And you know, he says diversity if you don't do diversity, it hurts you. In other words, if you're a racist, and, and you don't allow diverse views on a jury, or in politics, you're a freaking racist. I, I hate racist. Okay. But if in terms of equity, like if you bring equity into it, you say you have to have the same number of African Americans mm. proportional to population. I don't think that's that's a good way to go. Because for one thing, Asian Americans do extremely well on in most things, and they might outnumber, you know, Caucasian American, I don't even know what the proper term is. But But the point is, I I love the fact that we are getting more inclusive. I love the fact that we're getting more diverse. I work for it every single day in my career as part of my avocation for what I do. But the other hand, I worry about like, well, what if we said we have to have the same proportion of African-Americans or let's just say, um, you know, Jewish Let's just say use me. You have to have the same number of Jews as you have Asians in, in these fields. Now it turns out Jews are overrepresented in Nobel Prizes, but you know, similarly too, Asian Americans might be underrepresented. So what do we do? And I think you've seen places like Harvard and, and I'll kind of grapple with these accusations of of quotas and so forth. I just think it, it gets very ugly. And so I'm all for diversity. I love it. It makes my my job better. I've had students from Uganda, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, China, uh, and America, New Mexico. You know, it's 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 part of the greatest part of my job as a scientist to work with a diverse set of the most brilliant young minds in the world and learn from them as much as I learn hopefully teach them. Mm-hmm.
0: So I want to go into religion with the remaining time that we have here. Why do you think that religious people tend to be more on the Republican and conservative side of things, Brian?
1: Well, I think everybody has a religion, Jordan. First of all, I think your religion- Politics might
0: care of religion, really. Absolutely. The MVP.
1: environment could be a religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, veganism can be a religion. is mask oh maybe yeah
0: i'm I'm, I'm
1: emasculated right now because i got my vaccine uh and i'm at home but the uh but but atheism can be a religion in fact i saw this when my first prager you video came out and people are saying no scientists don't have faith in the multiverse which is really in some sense a counter argument to the necessity of god that was the title of the video what's a bigger leap of faith god or the multiverse yes These people saying, oh, God, you know, God is much more of a leap of faith. You know, scientists don't, they just have evidence. They don't have faith. I'm like, have you looked around lately? Even some of the people that came up with these ideas from Stephen Hawking, they were some of the biggest atheists and Jordan, they were some of the most faithful atheists to the religion of secularism. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you don't try to deceive yourself that you're not practicing a form of religion. And I even make the case in my book, the Nobel prize is a form of religion and it's very intoxicating. Because a secular scientist is more likely to crave a non-religious religion than anyone else. In other words, they want to say that this is objective. We can worship these Nobel Prize winners. We can worship the the academy that nominates them and and so forth. And science is held up in this beautiful, impartial light. A lot of it is a narrative that is so similar – down to the rituals, down to the holidays, the secular holidays in which the Nobel Prize is awarded, the feast, the regalia, the high church, the priesthood, the apostates like me, and it has all the trappings of religion. And if you've ever seen a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, you know, I love them, they're wonderful people, but you're probably not going to change your religion, because your religion, even if it's atheism, is deeply ingrained in your identity of who you are. So, I find that I don't know necessarily why there might be more of a correlation rather than causation to your exact question about why are the you know Republicans more religiously conscious. I know plenty of people that are Jewish that are liberal. I mean, by the way, when I was born, you know, my passport is stamped, you know, New York Jew, you know, Democrat, right? I mean, you you basically have to be, you have to work pretty hard to do that. If you're not gonna be Democrat, your whole family are Democrats. And I I have voted Democrat in my life. So it's not like I don't know the arguments and the Democrat side, but oftentimes I find it to be a substitute religion because you're doing good. You're, you're doing these mitzvot, these, these good deeds with, but via the government, not via a synagogue or a church. Mm. Tell me about the
0: hypocrisy of people saying, oh, there's no evidence to, you know, there being a God. And then they believe the, these scientists, they believe in like multiverse or something like that. Tell, talk about that.
1: Yeah, so in terms of religion, so I, you know, although I was an altar boy in the Catholic Church, uh, as I describe in my uh, memoir, Losing the Nobel Prize, I, I, and I love the Catholic Church, and and I had a great deal of uh, wonderful, enlightening experiences in it. I know more about Judaism, which is the religion of my birth. Me too. And, Ju- and, and Ju- are you Jewish also? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, the the name Jordan is a uh, not uncommon one for the Yardane River, so congratulations. <laughs> you actually have a winery named after you. Paris ah. is the interesting one. Maybe it's Parisi, maybe you're Persian. Are you Persian?
0: I, I don't know, but I okay. do believe that somewhere at some time at Ellis Island it the name was changed i was told <laughs> what it used to be th- this past summer i forget what it w- was the original name was but oh, okay. i've always wondered the origins of it cuz my yeah. my grandparents don't even know where their parents are from it's it's a whole thing
1: but anyway. right yeah that's not uncommon so in my in my you know in our faith or i'll just say on our, in the jewish faith the word the word for faith is emunah and emunah translates the word that's where we get the word amen it means we believe in English. We get the word amen from emunah, which means I have faith or credulity in. And, you know, to me, it's like, it's not necessarily something that's provable or not. If you look at the Old Testament, again, sorry for being so, I know you've got religions of every kind and no kind on this show that listen to it. But, but the bottom line is people say, well, look at Genesis, you know, and, and look at the Bible. It's it's all these factual things that are wrong. How could you believe in it? And I say, you know, if you looked at a book and it was called Great NBA Superstars, Mm -hmm. And it was a thousand pages of of the the confirmation hearing for Clarence Thomas. It was a thousand pages of that stuff. You're like, what the hell? I thought this was about NBA stars. And (laughs) then there's one page. There's one page about you know the entire history of the NBA. That would be like one out of a thousand ratio of. So if you look at the Old Testament, we call it the Torah. uh, That part of the Bible has 35 sentences that are related to Genesis of the universe, Genesis of Adam and Eve, maybe evolution, quote unquote. And then there's 35,000 more verses. So it's the exact same ratio, one to a thousand. Now, I'm gonna ask you, is that a science book? No, it's totally not. And as Stephen Jay Gould, who was an atheist, he was secular, born Jewish, but like many Jews, Carl Sagan, et cetera, uh, he didn't practice and and it wasn't important to him, but, but he had respect. He said, religion and science occupy two separate domains. He called them magisteria. And that one is not necessarily required to influence the other. And in fact, even the National Academy of Sciences has endorsed that viewpoint that science and means, as I said before, science, the word in Latin means knowledge. The word for wisdom is sapien, but, you know, we don't really use that except for like homo sapien. Yes. Uh, but the word for wisdom uh, in the Torah is, is the Torah itself is basically a teaching. So I think it's very different. I don't use a brief history of time as a handbook to raise my kids. And I don't use the Torah as a book on general relativity to teach my students. Mm
0: -hmm. Brian, will we ever know if there is a God or, or what the heck happened, how the universe exactly came to be? Will
1: we ever know? I am contrarian. I think a lot of people want to know so badly that they say we will know. It's the same, by the way, you see this with like aliens and extraterrestrial intelligence. You see this with artificial intelligence, this almost desire to have an all powerful artificial intelligence or alien species or life on other planets like Mars. We just landed on Mars for the seventh or eighth time looking for evidence of of conditions favorable to life, if not life itself. We want to believe there's something else out there. And I always think to myself, well, w- what if we never know? Like, isn't that the most kosher place to be as a scientist? To be agnostic, to not have my confirmation bias. I-, I want to prove that there's no God. And I'll do so by showing that there's life on other planets and Jesus couldn't be in all those other planets. And therefore, you know, that's not that's not satisfying to me. I like the the moment right before you solve the Rubik's cube, right? I hope to do that someday, but one of my kids can do it. And and when you do it, I see in him, I see this thrill, like I'm about to do it. He's already done it a million times, but he's going to do it again because he gets a taste of that initial thrill that he felt the first time he did it. And it's like, you ever read a great book, like losing the Nobel prize, Jordan, and you don't want it to end. And after you finished it, you're like, well, I kind of wish I never read it because I'll never have the experience of reading it for the first time. Do you have a book like that, by the way, is there a book that did that for you?
0: Oh uh, well, there's a there's a movie or, like that, The Great uh-huh. Gatsby. Oh yeah, for certain.
1: Great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I that particular that book, I like the book version uh, yes. better. Unless you're talking about the 1975 version with Robert. Nah, Redford. I
0: watched the 1975 version. I I was not happy with the acting. It was a that watching that movie was like a big shock to me. And I, I watched it with my mom towards the end of mm. high school, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, mom, why? Like, the acting is so bad. And she's like, it it's. Just what it was back in the in the day. Acting's gotten a lot better, (laughs) uh, and so uh, that is true. Science,
1: science, and acting have gotten a lot better, and they both have their fair share of these golden images of of uh, gods and goddesses uh, to impel people to continue their craft.
0: Well, I have one more question for you, Brian. Do you think that this that there is uh, life? elsewhere? Do you think that there are other life forms on other planets, universes? So whatever, where do you think that there are?
1: I think that there uh, is a very high likelihood, even in our own solar system, there's life, but that could come from, from the earth. In other words, it could have been hit by a meteor and then the meteor ejected just as it's done on the moon surface. I have a tiny sample of a piece of the moon that you'll see in the Prager uh, university book club I did with Michael Knowles about Galileo. I gave him a piece of the moon. Oh, I did. Yes. This, I watched that video. Yes. Yeah. It's like one gram. It cost me like a hundred bucks. Uh, but you can buy fragments of the moon. How did it get here? Well, it's illegal. It's a felony no. to, to steal a moon rock from the NASA Apollo astronaut samples. But if gravity brings it to the earth, the old fashioned way via meteorite strike, uh, which happens a lot, then it's kosher to own it. You can own it. But In this case, I'm thinking about the reverse process. A a huge meteor struck the earth when the dinosaurs were alive 65 Mm. million years ago and killed off many of the large ones. It ejected stuff into the atmosphere and into space. So some of that could have made its way to Mars even or to Venus or, or wherever. And it's possible that that could incubate. So life, yes, intelligent life. I think the odds are almost astronomically small uh, wow. that, we, that there are extraterrestrial life. I know my friend Avi Loeb, uh, chairman, former chairman of the Harvard astronomy department. He has a new book out uh, about the evidence that he claims is unequivocal for the existence of alien technology, a spacecraft, not just a signal, not just some slime uh, on, a, on a rock somewhere, but actually like a spacecraft comprised of a solar sail that's been flying around for billions of years. I disagree with him. He was on my podcast, Into the Impossible. We talked about it. However, I think the odds of that are very low. I think there are so many hurdles that we don't understand, Jordan. And I always boil my research down to answering these types of questions. Number one, how did the universe come into existence? These are all like chicken or egg kind of questions. Like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, the uh, the, you know, a space-time or the universe? Which came after space-time? How do you make matter from just the space-time? How do you make matter from pure energy? Well, we figured out some aspects of that, still some ways to go. How do you make life from dead, inorganic matter? That's a huge question. We don't know how that's possible. How do you make conscious life from living matter? That's another question we don't understand. And then how do you make a self-aware life such as ourselves? For These are four different big bangs or four different chicken or egg problems. I think the obstacles to creating sentient technological life are so huge that even if you assign a tiny probability to each one of those four events, and then all the myriad more that you need to, you come up with a number that's smaller than the number of planets in the observable universe. So it's not so consequential to me to say, well, six, you know, a billion years ago, there was life in the Andromeda galaxy, okay, we'll we'll never reach that galaxy, you'll never get evidence for it. So the possibility sure is there, you know, as Carl Sagan said, it would be an awful waste of space, but the universe doesn't care what we want. The universe is totally ambivalent to the needs of the human beings. And so, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think what I'm saying has any relevance to God or religion, by the way. I didn't apply to God appeal to God whatsoever, but but I, I do appeal to the laws of, of physics and chemistry and biology. It seems incredibly unlikely, which to some people is very depressing. Uh to me, I find it very, very interesting, especially when you combine it with a biblical worldview in some sense that you and I are made in God's image. And even people you may not like Joe Biden, you still have to admit he's a living, he's the pinnacle, you know, as we all are, Mm -hmm. he's a human being, Mm -hmm. his life has infinite value. You know, God Mm -hmm. forbid something would ever happen to him. So I feel like that, that we, and that's why I feel like we should love each other, even though, even though, like, I might hate somebody's political opinion. I can still love them as the most evolved and possible only example of life, let alone technological life, conscious life in the entire universe. Let's have more love in a good way, the appreciation of our uniqueness as a species.
0: Refreshing, a message of love with actual like substance behind it, not just saying like the cliche, let's all love everyone. Oh, unity. Uh, it, like, the, now I like the way you said it. Like, oh, I get it. I get it. it the whole political thing is just so insignificant in the yes. grand scheme of things. It really it is. is. The whole conversation, just absolutely fascinating. Say, what is your expertise on climate change? Because I might like, uh, do you consider yourself to be very qualified in that? Because I might like to have someone on who believes in climate change and I'd like to get the opposing.
1: Yeah, I mean, the
0: climate's always changing. That's the thing.
1: Yeah. I, I not only believe in the climate change, I believe the climate is being changed by human activity. In other words, I yes, believe. Yes. It, I don't believe necessarily global warming because I think yeah. that's a loaded term and that's not even in vogue anymore. I would say Michael Shermer is an amazing person to get on okay. the show. Uh, he'd be a great person for you to talk to. He and I are both not climate scientists, but I don't think you need mm. to be a climate scientist. He does a great job of synthesizing the uh, kind of disparate evidence. And that's the most credible type of science. When you not yes. only find evidence for global climate change from oceanography, from atmospheric chemistry, from paleo astronomy, you know, you go through all the different lines. And then you get a more comprehensive picture. He is an expert on that. He's the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. I can put you in touch with him. I've done uh, the cover article for his upcoming, you know, one of the few things I'll pat myself on the back or my pillow for uh, Jordan is that I can do a video for Prager University, which has the word God in it. And then I have the cover issue of Skeptic Magazine, (laughs) which is a magazine for skeptical inquiry, which is uh, diametrically opposed in some sense. And that's a testament to Michael Shermer and his team, as well as Dennis Prager. And his team. So you keep an open mind, you debate with love, you debate with a true comedy mm-hmm. that I care about what you say. I may even be convinced by you. Like, if you go into a debate, Jordan, and you're like, I know you don't need this advice, by the way, but I'm just saying, if you go into a debate and you're like, this guy's an idiot, or this girl's an idiot, I'm never going to be convinced. I, I think you should. that's pointless. It's just like puffery. You're just mm-hmm, making yourself mm-hmm. feel good that you're yeah, like- Yeah, your ego, taking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if you're actually open-minded, because again, what's the greatest thrill outside of, you know, that's I can mention on the show? The greatest thrill is curiosity. And when you have your- I've actually had addiction specialist on the Into the Impossible podcast, Dr. Judd Brewer, and he talks about overcoming addiction to drugs, to smoking, which is the hardest chemical addiction to break by using investigative curiosity and discursive inquisition about yourself Mm -hmm. and why you have these cravings and using that and the thrill of, oh, now I know why I'm having a cigarette because I'm with Jordan. And whenever we get together, we we smoke a cigarette. No, now I'm going to overcome that. Now that I know that I can use my curiosity as a dopamine hit to counteract the dopamine I think I'm going to get from the cigarette. So this is a long winded way of saying, use your curiosity. It's the most powerful weapon that we have as human beings.
0: Use your curiosity, debate with love. It's a great place to leave it. Dr. Brian Keating, Clubhouse, Twitter, Into the Impossible podcast. If I were giving out podcast awards, I would give your podcast the the Jordan Paris Diversity and Inclusion Award. Not that Jordan no Paris should be giving, yeah, yeah, no, no equity. equity. No. No, no, I can't. <laughs> so. I
1: can't aspire to the to, to your level, but uh, hopefully, I will someday.
0: <laughs> Doctor Brian Keating, thank you very much. Thank you, Jordan. Bye, bye. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Jordan Paris Show. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, there are a couple of things that you can do. Number one is, of course, share with your friends and family. I think that they would really appreciate it. Number two, we have a free community a sensor-free community on Telegram. You can join that group at jordanparis.com slash group. I'd love to meet you. And lastly, your voice is powerful and it is important. And if you'd like to use your voice and start your own podcast, I'd love to help you out. jordanparis.com slash course is where you can find my free course on how to become a rock star podcaster. That's all. Thanks everyone for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of The Jordan Paris Show.